I want to try and inspire you guys a bit today. I kind of want to get you guys to kind of realize, hopefully I can do this, you realize what we have in Christ. Because I think throughout history, the way that I look at it, the church has been most powerful, most influential, able to change the world in the the biggest ways when it's understood and it's been fully convinced that it has something that the world needs and the world doesn't have at the moment. And the church has been at its most impotent and its weakest point when it hasn't thought that. It's just fallen into this mode where it's just happy to come along and, and like I said earlier, be a club. You can look at the early church with the apostles and how they moved out of Judea and into Samaria and then into the, into the world. You hear stories of Thomas being in India. You hear rumors of um, apostles being all the, getting all the way across to Spain. The whole known world to them, they managed to reach out to. Fully committed, fully believing that what they had, the world needed to hear. You could look at someone like, um, like John Wesley, who rode horseback through England, preaching everywhere he went. What was it that drove him? What was it that fueled his fire that he would keep doing it, regardless of the fact that churches would block him out, local authorities would kick him out of their towns? He felt he had something that the world needed. What about William Booth, the creator of the Salvation Army, who would have dreams of um, having to pull people up out of the wreckage that is that is the, the road to hell and onto safety in an, in an island. What drove him to believe that he had something that the world needed and that he couldn't be silent anymore? Because if we can catch a hold of something like this, not only would it revolutionize our faith and our connectedness to Christ, but it will revolutionize and change the people who are out there. If we believe that there's a message that we need to share because they don't have it currently. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49 says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after the net, uh, after the And after that, the spiritual, the first man was of the dust, the second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That's 1 Corinthians 15. What on earth does that mean and what does that have to do with today? Is there a band playing in the background? Hey. Um, what does it have to do? Okay. So I'm going to take us on a little bit of a journey, okay? Hopefully I can do this in a way that makes sense. The Bible talks about two atoms. It talks about 
The first Adam. Adam being Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You all heard of Adam? This Adam? Yeah, cool. Okay. So as you know, Adam, is God makes Adam out of the dirt. He comes to life. God um, and him are in relationship. The, uh, the, uh, the, the Garden of Eden is perfect. It's beautiful. In the garden, there's a whole lot of fruit trees and things that, uh, that Adam is allowed to partake of, except for one. And that tree, the Bible says, is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, look, you can touch anything you like in this garden. You can eat any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, but you can't touch this one. Unfortunately, as we all know, the story goes that Adam did touch the fruit. He did eat of a tree. He did partake. He did something that he wasn't supposed to. So the consequence of that was that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Okay, this is kind of like 101 stuff here. 101. He'd been expelled from the garden. Now, Adam and Eve, from there, began to move. And this is where... This is where the, Try and bear with me, hang on to me here. Adam and Eve left the garden, leaving paradise and relationship with God. And then what happens there is what we've found with humanity, with the descendants of Adam and Eve, us humans here, we have moved further and further away from Eden. And as we've moved further and further away from Eden, what we find is that things get more destitute, more broken, more troublesome. There's wars, there's murder, there's pain, there's suffering. And mankind has made every attempt to get back to Eden, but they've never been able to do it. And the heart of every human being is this desire to go back to Eden but they haven't been able to do it. That's the problem, right? That's the first Adam. Now, the Bible talks about a second Adam. That Adam represents Christ. Well, the word, the second Adam is Christ. And Christ was put upon a tree, or sorry, sorry, upon a cross, I don't want to foreshadow too much, on a cross, so that we could enter back into relationship with God and find ourselves back in the Garden of Eden. This is the concept, okay? Now, what do you mean by that, Gene? That sounds far out. What are you, what are you saying? Did you know, we always talk about the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that led to our first sin. But there were actually two trees that are mentioned in Eden. The first one that we always talk about is the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Represents the autonomy of man to be able to make his own decisions. Before that, he was letting God make every decision. When he ate ate the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, I choose now to make my own decisions. And we know how that's worked out. There was another tree in the Garden of Eden 
And that tree was the tree of life. The tree of life. The tree of life. Now this is where it gets interesting because the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the creation of the world. So what, what are you saying, Gene? Are you saying... So although Jesus was crucified here, the tree of life, and cross, cross means tree. Oh, sorry, the Bible says, talks about the cross being a tree. So over here, the tree of life, Jesus is waiting on the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's quite a conceptual thing. So anyone who is out here, lost, struggling, and those kind of things, can look at the tree of life and see Jesus upon it. And if they come to him, they're able to dwell once again in the Garden of Eden. Now, this is where it gets interesting for us. Because, because although we have come back to Eden, our job is not to just stay here. Jesus says, look what good you have. Look what you have in me. Now, look out there and see that there are lots of people who are still walking around outside of Eden. They're still struggling They've still got pain. They're still finding it hard. They're still trying to figure out how to get there themselves. But they don't realize that the only way back into the Garden of Eden is through the tree of life, which is Jesus. They're being told all this kind of stuff that isn't the truth. It's just Jesus. Can you... Can you can you go out to these people and show them the way? Can you show them the truth? Can you show them the life? So, yeah, that's the framework. Now, the, the thing is, a lot of us are sitting there thinking, but Gene, I don't feel like I'm living in the Garden of Eden. I've actually still got a lot of troubles and pains and, and stresses through life. It's not really kind of working out the way that you said it was. You told me that if I walk out here, um, away from the Garden of Eden, it's destitute, it's pain, it's suffering, all that kind of stuff. Um, if, I go back, if I go back, I'm in the Garden of Eden. Why doesn't my life kind of look like that? There's, there's this... Awesome line that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 that I think kind of helps us to understand a little bit about that. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, he goes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen, in other words, let it be, is spoken to us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, 
put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The biggest reason why the church went through eras of impotency and weakness, and the biggest reason why the church suddenly jumped up and got active and powerful, well, it's because it realized sometimes you stand in Eden and you don't even realize you're there. We live in a world of outside Eden, within Eden. Every promise of God is at our disposal. The promises of God are no longer yes or no, they're only yes. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything you've done. Listen to this. He anointed us. That's him anointing us, not us anointing ourselves. He set his seal of ownership on us. We didn't set the seal, he did. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. He did that, not us. Guaranteeing what is to come. For some strange reason, for some strange reason, God does all the work gets us all the way to Eden. And then we think it's our responsibility to carry it all and stay there. But in our humanity, we find sometimes that things don't always end up the way that they're supposed to. We've had to walk out into a world of destituteness and destituteness, that's a terrible word, pain and suffering and all this kind of stuff. Not realizing that Eden is us and that we are carrying Eden into our world everywhere we go. We sit there carrying, thinking that we're struggling in pain and we don't claim the promises of God. And so Paul goes on to say, Oh man, I'm perplexed, but I'm not overcome. I'm crushed on either side, pushed on either side. I'm pushed on either side, but I'm not crushed. Paul was living in in an Eden mindset. It could carry Christ into every corner of his life. If we get that mindset, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Interesting, right? Now, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you today, so I, I'm, the beautiful, miraculous power of God is such that I don't think salt can lose its saltiness. And, in, and if salt happened to lose its saltiness, we can always claim it again in Jesus' name and faith. So I don't know where you guys are at in life, but my challenge today is to take take a bit of heart and understand that we don't just carry around this peace and this hope and this joy in our hearts for nothing. This has been given to us by Christ. Sometimes it's very easy to forget that you have peace and hope and goodness in your heart through Christ. And sometimes you forget that the world out there does not have the peace and hope and goodness of Christ. There is a world out there that is not in Eden that needs to be desperately back there, that longs to be desperately back there. And it's the church's responsibility to go out there and to to call people back in, to bring them back in. There's There's this awesome scripture. My son's name, my oldest son's name is Elisha. So every now and again, I like to try and pull an Elisha 
from Second Kings and Elisha scripture into things. Um, yeah, that, that's so. Um, maybe it's because I feel like if I speak it out enough, he'll he'll be he'll, he'll my my Elisha will become an amazing Elisha as well. Second Kings chapter two, verse nineteen to twenty-one. The people of the city said to Elisha, "Look, uh, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive." It's really interesting what he says. He says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. You guys are the salt of the world. And if you were to put your salt, the water representing the people, the death and the anguish and the destitute of the world, if you were to put your salt into that water, you'd bring it to life. Don't think that it's because of anything, that any special superpower that you have. Think of it because of the superpower that Christ has put upon you. Your words are transformational. They have power. The Holy Spirit that is upon you is transformational. It can change atmospheres. Your job is to put the salt, just like Elisha did, when people, um, people gave him the bowl with the salt in it. Your job is to take the salt that you have and put it into the water, that, the dead water, and bring that water to life. One person put the salt in their, in that water, see it come to life. One society put the salt into that water, see it come to life. One culture put the salt in the water, see it come to life. Who, if we don't do it? Who's going to put the salt in the water if we don't do it? Who's going to put the salt in the water of coast? Papa Moore. Your street. Your house. The people that you know at work. Who's going to put the salt in the water? If churches um, want to be impotent, want to, then don't put the salt in the water. But if you think that there is power in the name of Jesus for transformation, if you think Jesus is the answer to this world, if you think that he's what this culture needs, if you think that he's what the society needs, if you, th- if you think it's what the street needs, your neighbours need, your co-workers need, your friends and family need, gee, I hope you do, because <laughs> they do, pour the salt. Pour the salt. Pour the salt. Pour the salt. Do it in prayer, but pour the salt. Call the Holy Spirit into situations. Ask him to be a part of your will, their will, culture's will, society. And see the dead things come to life. Because we're all ending up back here in Eden. Eh? Okay, okay. That's it.
that's all I have to say. I just, I just really want to challenge you guys on that. Hopefully it made sense. Um, I know that I can be a little bit metaphorical on some of this stuff. But um, reason why, the reason why I bring it up, because I just think you guys are awesome. <laughs> Every time I come out here, you guys impress me. And, I'm, and I think, I sincerely think that what you have here, Papa Moore needs. Because you've got Jesus, right? But also there's something really, really cool about your guys' community that you're building out here, and I think Papa Moore needs it. You know? Can I just pray for you guys? Can I pray for you guys? Father, I thank you for this awesome church. I thank you for, um, for Will and Nicole and for what they're doing here and for all the people that, that come along here uh, on a Sunday and for what you're doing in this place. Father, as always, I just prophesy blessing and favor upon, the God, um, from it, upon everybody, not just here on Sunday, but as they go out to their, to their homes and their families and their workplaces and schools and, and everything, every connection that they have. Father, would you pour out a blessing upon their lives? Holy Spirit, would you have your way and your power, your transformational power in their lives as they call on you for the need? Father, I pray that you would answer it. Lord, I pray, and I I just pray for breakthrough for for Coast. I pray for breakthrough. For any ceiling or any cap that the devil would try to hold back on this place, Lord, I pray it be broken in Jesus' name. I pray there be life and life abundant in this place. I pray there be joy and joy abundance in this place. I pray against any sense of tiredness, Lord, and I, I just prophesy good things, good things, good things, things to talk about, things to rave about, because Jesus is alive, and the Holy Spirit is doing stuff in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.